0: Welcome to Principles with Cory and Logan guys we got a jammed packed one here today. This is going to be an awesome one. I know you're going to uh, gain a ton of value from our conversation today. We've got Captain William Bill Toady with us today. He's a 26-year Navy veteran, served in positions all throughout and in industry, leading to a position as CEO of Spartan Corporation and uh, 26 years, like I said, as service in the U.S. Navy and 15 years in industry, culminating as, as CEO of Defense uh, company. But today, he continues his journey as a sought-after consultant and authority on topics of military transition into industry. And that's one of the main things we're going to talk about today, along with leadership, because uh, as you guys know, I love some leadership. Uh, he talks about the monstrous September 11th terrorist attack on the Pentagon, and unforgettable story of the World War II cruiser USS Indianapolis and a heroic cruise. So Bill, I'm excited about our conversation. Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan.
1: Me too, Corey. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, Bill, I know you are a consultant right now, and, and you've got a book that we'll talk about, and uh, I want to mine out some gold of your leadership is what I want to do. But tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this point? Uh, and, and just uh, share a bit of your story with us.
1: Yeah. <clears> On <throat> of high school, I joined the Navy just as a regular enlisted guy. And then I you know, in, I applied for Annapolis, the Naval Academy, because I decided I wanted to be an officer because I really wanted to be an astronaut. That didn't work out. But I got accepted in, into Annapolis and then did my four years there. Um, went into the submarine force when I, you know, my, failed my eye exam. Uh, and so spent most of my Navy career bouncing back and forth between sea duty on a submarine and shore duty in the Pentagon. And so that's kind of, those were the, the places I ended up uh, going back and forth. That's how I found myself in the Pentagon on September 11th, 2001, which was a very bad day. But my sea duty on submarines was uh, always fascinating, interesting. And I was had the privilege of commanding a submarine USS Indianapolis, which is how I got to know the World War II cruiser survivors of that USS Indianapolis so well. And in fact, we just lost one this morning. There's only, uh, I think, one survivor left out of the 316 that survived the sinking of that ship. Of course, that ship was talked about in the movie Jaws, if you've seen that movie. they talk, It's Quint's character, talks about it a bit. So I've had a very weird life. Um, I'm lucky to be alive in some ways, but um, I'm very fortunate to have been benefited from a wonderful career
0: yeah that's all all right so i've got just maybe a weird question for you but sure. uh, i've always kind of been interested in the submarine stuff uh, if you could explain what it's like being on a submarine <laughs> what is that actually like to someone who knows nothing about submarines
1: yeah the interesting thing is the you know um you you kind of people who get claustrophobic don't volunteer for submarines yeah. so you, you can't get recruited into submarines so when you get on board people generally don't have a problem with being closed up and underwater. That's not generally the problem. The thing that people have a problem with is not seeing the sun. Back in the days when I was going to sea on submarines, of course, we didn't know how important sunlight and vitamin D was for things like bone health, right? And just like you'd be underwater for months not getting any vitamin D at all. And nobody said, look, you need to supplement your vitamin D because, and that that leads to long-term health problems, but we didn't know it at the time, right? And so you know, being isolated with a bunch of guys as it was back in those days, we, we now have women on submarines too. Um, guys got kind of, guys get kind of hard and a little bit um, cynical. Um, you, you find uh, weird ways to entertain yourself by almost by harassing other people, right? You get a bit short-tempered. You, that's probably not surprising. Um, but you know, it was a very rewarding career. Um, you do things that you can never talk about for the rest of your life. Yeah. I'll never wow. be able to say what wow. I did when I was on submarines. And uh, you, you can kind of make peace with that. And you're proud of that. But on the other hand, you can't brag about it either. So it's kind of a weird environment that uh, I'm glad I did. But, you know, I'm too old for that stuff now.
0: Yeah, man, that is awesome. So you hit, you led at pretty um. You said you were a commander of that submarine, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so you've led in the military space at a high level, and then you're a CEO of, of a, a corporation. So you've led at high levels in the military and in industry. Uh, just kind of curious, uh, any similarities? I know the principles may be about the same, but how do you how do you lead differently um, in those two settings? I, I was just kind of curious there.
1: Corey, honestly, the, the thing that surprised me the most is there were more differences then there were similarities, right? Even from the leadership standpoint, I, as you said, I led at a high level. I, I led a submarine squadron of six submarines, you know, a thousand sailors or so. And you would say that, well, heck, if you let, led at a high level, you know, in the military like that, that leadership style should be able to translate well to industry. And it turns out it doesn't. And I joke with my active duty friends, leadership is hard, but it's even harder when you're leading people who can actually quit. Mm. And that's not something I had ever had to worry about on my submarine wow. or in my submarine squadrons, right? And so it, and the reason this becomes an issue is because the military does a really, really poor job of preparing people to enter the civilian workforce. It's not their fault. The people who are doing the training have never done it. And so they don't know what they don't know. And so what they end up doing is telling you things that are, just completely wrong, like all your future employer wants from you is good leadership. That's absolutely wrong. In fact, that's not even true in the military. You can't go into, like, let's say, command of a submarine with only good leadership and succeed, right? You need a whole lot more than that good leadership. You need to actually know something about that submarine, about the environment you're going to lead in about the people that you're leading. And so that statement that we all want to believe when we're leaving the military, all your future employer wants from you is good leadership. Turns out it's, it's a complete lie and it sets veterans up for failure because they think they have what it takes to succeed. When in fact, there's a lot of work they need to do to do really well in industry. Now, can they just kind of get, get by? Yeah, they can get by, but if they want to succeed, to the same degree that they succeeded in the military, they basically have to think about it like they're starting over again. And the company can help that with that too. And this is, I spend half my time talking to veterans that are going to transition industry and half my time talking to companies that are recruiting veterans, because every company is proud of the number of veterans it recruits. And what I say to them is, have you taken ownership for that veteran success? Have you, have you helped that veteran figure out what they need to succeed? How many of those veterans are still with you after five years? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then you're failing those veterans. And so um, if you really want to be proud and patriotic, do what it takes to help them succeed, not just to hire them.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, you said something in there that I thought was really powerful. You said it's different leading people who have the option to quit. <laughs> uh, that, that That's right. Yeah. Lead, I would think, and <laughs> communicate. And, um You know, things that I know about uh, military is definitely there's some skill sets. I'm an entrepreneur and most of my Mm -hmm. time, my whole life has been spent in the business world. There are definitely uh, attributes that that are attractive about people that are coming from military. You got discipline, you got work ethic, you got wisdom. Um, But I like what you touched on, too, about um, it just isn't automatic. One of the things we talk about in leadership is that. uh, one of the requirements is competence, and you Absolutely. You, you mentioned that, and mm. I think we fail people, and I know you're going to talk more about that. Fail people when we don't train them in the the competence, bringing out the skill set um, of that. So, so if you had a suggestion for somebody who's you know bringing somebody on that's transitioning from a business standpoint, what, what were some of your suggestions be?
1: Yeah, I find that sometimes the the, the business person hiring the veteran is a little intimidated by the veteran and is unwilling to talk to them the way they would talk to any other new hire. So sit them down and say, look, I know you've done a lot in your life and I'm grateful for that. Um, And by the way, if you want to say thank you for your service, that's the time to do it. After that, I don't recommend the employer say it. I recommend that they not say it because everything that they do to separate that veteran employee from all the rest of their employees is not helpful, right? So you want to you know, treat them just like you treat everybody else. But sit them down and say, look, in this environment, this is the way we lead. You're the kind of leadership you probably exercised in the military is what we will call operational leadership. It's where you need something done quickly without a lot of questioning, right? And veterans generally tend to be pretty good at that. But on a day-to-day basis in a company, that kind of leadership can be very off-putting, could be very suppressive to the employees, the other employees that are working there. Um, and so it can be a, a big problem. So veterans need to learn how to, number one, lead differently. And the, I tell the companies, don't be afraid to tell them that. And the, you know, maybe you're going to get the, no, 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 I get it. That's not the kind of leader I'm, I am. But I got to tell you, I've hired hundreds of veterans. I've had thousands of veteran employees in my companies. All of them say that. And then when it comes to exercising leadership, they'll kind of fall back on what they know. And then you have to pull them aside and say, look, I thought we had that conversation that that's not the way we're going to do it here, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is make sure they understand what's important to the company and what It's going to take for the company to succeed and what their role is in that, because I guarantee you when they're in the military, they understood their mission. And they may be led to believe, like a lot of government people are, that when you're in a civilian company, there is no mission or the mission is just making money or, you know, something like that. And and they need to understand that, that that stereotype they might have developed while they were in uniform or in government. Could be completely wrong. That this the company probably has significantly more altruistic ambitions than they that they were led to believe when they were on active duty, and that's another thing you need to help them understand.
0: Yeah, you know so what I heard you say, and uh, kind of when you're talking about number one is kind of just as a as an entrepreneur, as business owner, or, or whatever. Just out of respect uh, for what they've done in the past, and not certain mm. we. We tend to coddle or compromise instead of speaking to them directly or or trying to lead them well, and it ends up being a disservice to to that individual. It sounds like that's
1: exactly right. And this fear or intimidation, in particular, you know, that that managers who've never served in the military, who are very patriotic, and they very and, and I'm very grateful for that patriotism, by the way, who have respect and admiration for those. Let's say somebody who came back after five tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. Right. So it's wonderful that they're respectful for that kind of service, but then if they don't say, got it, but, but let's, let's help you succeed here too. And here's how we're going to help you do that. If they fail to have that conversation, they're in fact letting that veteran down. It's exactly what you said. Right. And so it's not doing them any good at all to mollycoddle them, and lead them to believe that they have the skills necessary to succeed in the civilian job when they likely don't.
0: Yeah, and that mm-hmm. really speaks to me because I, I can imagine myself just out of respect, you know, like uh, not not intentional, but out of respect doing that, and that really, really is a disservice uh, to them as a leader, and I was just kind of curious from the opposite end of the standpoint, you got somebody, we've actually got several people who listen who are kind of in that position where they're transitioning and they're looking and or about to transition into that. Maybe, maybe any thoughts for them to kind of set them up for success as they go out and looking for their leadership role or whatever they're going to do in their next step.
1: Well, the reason I wrote my book is for the, for with those folks in mind, because I got tired of doing the counseling one by one, by one, by one. And I thought there needs to be a more efficient way to do this. Let me write all this stuff down and before I was done, it was like book science. So, um, and so that's, that's exactly why I wrote the book for those people. And then I realized I actually had somebody from industry say to me, you know, I read your book, even though you didn't write it for me. I'm a recruiter and I recruit a lot of military veterans. And, you know, I got great value out of the book, too. And it hadn't occurred to me that that would be true. And so I said, you know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. You know, when somebody that's a recruiter or, or hiring manager reads my book, it's like listening in to a conversation between two veterans, one that's succeeded in industry and one that wants to. And, the one, and so that's helpful to that industry person and know what the veteran who succeeded is telling the one who's transitioning now. So I do encourage folks that have never served that are hiring veterans to read the book as well. But, but it, the, the fundamental issue is you need to start early. You can't say, well, I've got my orders. I'm, I'm separating next week. What do I do now? Or say, well, the military teaches us what to do. Because in fact, what the military teaches you is a load of nonsense. It's going to hurt you more than it helps you. And it's, again, I, I keep saying this, it's not their fault. They're required to do this. They they award contracts for the lowest bidder, and and the people who give the training aren't the people who should be given the training. It's just the way it is. You have to accept that. Learn from people who've actually done it, not people who are reading off of a curriculum about something they've never done. Yeah. I
0: love, uh, I love what you said starting out there as a the whole reason you wrote the book is mm. I know what you mean is, is to increase, uh, you've got a message and a way of helping people and you want to spread that out to as many people as possible. And, um, I think John Maxwell, I heard him say one time, that's the reason he wrote books is to be able to influence people. He'd never be able to meet and uh, exactly. yeah. powerful, powerful point right there. Um, I, I love leadership, love love talking leadership. And uh, again, you've led at high level in both uh, areas there. Curious, as, as you've seen, is there any, what, what skills do you think, uh, or maybe a skill, would you recommend uh, that's required to lead at a high level, whether you in in military or uh, in the um,
1: business space? Well, in both cases, there's some common skills. And one of them is you need the ability to articulate Visualize first, and then articulate the mission and ways that are going to resonate with the people you're trying to lead. So, in the military, it's easy; it's defending the country. It's, you know, so it's been kind of the vision's been articulated for you. And but you know, trying to communicate that in meaningful ways to everybody who's in your unit becomes a little bit more of a challenge. But but you start with a head start in industry, it may be up to you to to define that mission. That's the first part. And then second, do it in a way that is meaningful to the employees so they don't believe that their mission is putting money in your pocket, right? Because nobody's ever going to get motivated about that. So they need to understand how it's all connected. That's common. Where things start diverging is in industry... The um, coaching style of leadership is almost always the approach you want to take because you want to bring the employees along with you. In the military, there are opportunities to do that, but oftentimes you don't have time <laughs> to use that method, right? It's, it's more operational leadership or directive leadership. And even in industry, there are going to be times when, when you're going to have to rely on that operational leadership or directive leadership. So I never I tell people don't abandon that skill because there may be times when you need things to happen now. In in crises and for for example we're going through as we as we're recording this Florida is being hit by a hurricane and there are civilians all over this state that are using directive leadership at this moment right. This is what I need you to do and I need you to do it now. So that skill is necessary but only in certain conditions. And if you overuse it, that skill that you've learned in the military, it will drive your employees away, which is why I say it's even harder when you're leading people who can actually quit because that's what they're going to do. They're not going to be on board. They're not going to want to listen and they're going to vote with their feet. And uh,
0: clarity is so key and and clarity in that vision is so key. I, I like that. Um, Actually, I, I, I'll share a super quick story here. We, um, In our physical therapy business, we were growing and we were needing a uh, new physical therapist. And the lady came in and I laid out the vision for how we we're making an impact, all the awesome things and how she mm-hmm. was going to get the opportunity to be a part of that. And she told me that that's not really what she was looking for. And I go home to my wife and I say, how in the world can you claim <laughs> to be a physical therapist and not want to be a part of this? Yeah, exactly. And my wife, she shared something with me that was very powerful and profound that speaks to what you're saying is she said, well, not everybody wants to be a part of your vision. And whenever you're clear, whenever you uh, clearly give directive, clearly give vision, it allows people to say, yes, that's what I want to be a part of. No, that's that's not. But or no. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. It's Mm -hmm. powerful.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's best to do that during the interview process before you hire them, not after you hire them. Uh, Because, you know, once you hire them and you find out, yeah, they're not on board with everything you want to do, uh, yeah, that doesn't work too well.
0: Exactly, one hundred percent. Well, I I wanna I wanna ask you about the Pentagon here in just a bit, but um, I do. I, before we jump into that, I want to ask you more about your book. I would love for you to tell a little bit more about the book because I know there are people that are uh, listening that are going through that transition. And if you got one or two nuggets more that you'd like to share from the book, I'd love to love to hear that too.
1: Sure. The book's title is From CO to CEO a practical guide for transitioning from military to industry leadership. And the key there is leadership. The subtitle is very important. And so, you know, the, the book is intended for people who want to who succeed in the military and, and want to succeed in, in the civilian career. And a couple of points I make is um, I talk a lot in the book about the timing of your transition and there's pros and cons for staying in the military for a full career before you make the transition. And I, and I do talk about, give those pros and cons as to whether it's good to get out after one or two or tours of duty, or after you, you're able to retire from the military. There's pros and cons of each. One of the things that, that, that's really important for people to understand, though, is there was a book written um, a decade or so ago called, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's an important concept to understand, even if you don't End up reading the whole book. And the, the premise of the book, which is absolutely true, is that the conditions that allowed you to succeed in your prior life likely will not exist in the next phase of your life. It's and we're talking about the operational environment, the human beings that were there to support you, um, the training that allowed you to understand the dynamics, all of those things that were. True and allowed you to succeed in your prior life will not be there in your future life. And that is doubly true when you transition from the military industry. Everything's going to be different. In fact, I tell military officers, you you ought to think about it. It Doesn't matter if you're a general, when you leave the military, you're a second lieutenant all over again. And so that's the way you got to think of it. The other part of this, what got you here, won't get you there. Premise is the more successful. Somebody was in their prior life, the more likely it's going to be that they're going to assume that they will succeed in their next life. And in fact, that assumption, that confidence, can actually set them up for a higher likelihood to fail. And so it's almost like if you go in there not assuming you've been a success, you probably have a better chance of succeeding than if you go in there thinking, I got this master, I'm the master of life. I've, uh, I've knocked it out of the park in every job I've ever had. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's gonna be easy and it's never easy for people who think that way. The other little nugget I would give you is that the thing that the future employer wants to see more than anything is something I, I refer to as a, an informed um, ability to learn. OK, because the knowledgeable hiring managers and bosses will know that the person who comes out of the military isn't going to have the skills necessary to succeed immediately. And what's going to be important for them is the degree and the speed with which they learn the new environment, the new job and things like that. And so dem- the, the ability to, for that transitioning military person to demonstrate that they can learn. And they have, right? And every time you get transferred to the military, you've got to learn a new job. And for, right, for better or worse, we get transferred a lot in the military. And it's kind of amazing to me that folks don't understand that this is like that. And, and your ability to demonstrate to you been able to learn and succeed very quickly after taking a new military job and use that as evidence in the resume, for example, of their ability to, the that, that likelihood they're going to be able to succeed with this transition is really important. And I give advice for that in the book as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Uh, as I hear you uh, speaking right there, this quote just keeps coming to my mind uh, as I hear that, and especially speaks to transition. And I'll just read you this quote. It says, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beauty, beautifully equipped to live in a world that no longer exists, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that being exactly. willing to change and to grow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, so one more time, the, the name of your book, CEO to CEO?
1: From Co to CEO, okay. A Practical Guide for Transitioning from Military to Industry Leadership, right?
0: Man, that's good stuff. Well, I, so I, I see in your bio here, you talk about um, being at the Pentagon and and were you there on 9 11?
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah, about 100 yards from where the plane hit. Yeah,
0: Yeah. wow. I can you? uh, What was that like? Like, um, I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Maybe what Mm -hmm. the nerves were like, or 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 what? Uh, Just can. Yeah, I mean,
1: we heard we knew the plane was headed towards Washington, and the only building in DC in the DC area that was like the World Trade Center that was easy to see from the air and had a lot of people in it. The Pentagon has 20,000 people working in it. And so we kind of knew before um, the plane came in that one was coming. And we, we kind of knew that we were the target. And, um, and in fact, I said it out loud before the plane came, came in. But we did hear the plane as it, um, you know, obviously on full throttle come in. It, I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. I was, I was in the out, outer ring office. So I did have a window to the outside, but the plane hit, you know, laterally from where I was. So where I was looking, I couldn't see it come in, but it was obvious, you know, the building shook, I could hear the explosion, the impact. Um, and of course the holes filled up with smoke and stuff like that. And, and I ended up running outside, around the outside and to the point of impact. And you could see the plane inside the hole in pieces, obviously burning. And, uh, and initially, those of us that responded to the point of impact were outnumbered by the injured that we encountered. And so we worked really hard to try to get people out. After about 20 minutes, though, the fire was too bad. We couldn't get back in. And, uh, and, and then I talk about the irony is that everybody was saved that day were saved by people who were there when the plane hit. And the, when, by the time professional rescuers showed up, there was nobody left to save. And that's kind of the, uh, it was one of the worst days of my life, obviously. And uh, it was four hours before my family knew I was still alive because the cell phones didn't work. And uh, yeah, it was a tough day. And I was lucky to have survived. Many of my friends didn't. They got killed. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's really all you need to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, curious is, you said information came in. What were some of your first thoughts whenever you knew like, Oh, we, we probably are the next target there. What were some things fired across your mind?
1: Well, of course you don't know which direction it comes. The Pentagon is a Pentagon shaped building. It's kind of round. And so you have no idea which part of the Pentagon it's going to hit. And it hit the part that was next to the part I was in. But, you know, so you, so even though, you know, it's coming in, what do you do? Yeah. Um, Do you you could run from a place that's going to be safe to a place that's going to be hit. I mean, what do you do? Do you evacuate the building? No, we're the Pentagon, right? Where they we control the nation's military. You don't, you can't run away. Although people did run away once after the, the plane hit. Um, so, but the building was never abandoned. The National Military Command Center stayed operating the entire time. Our Navy Command Center got hit, and that's where some of my friends were killed. Um, so, you know, that was kind of it, but then we went, went back to work as soon as the the fire burned for three days, but we're still working in the building while the fire was burning. And so, um, you, you do what you got to do, right?
0: Wow. How about that? And I, I know you, you mentioned that's about all you could share about that, but I, as you've reflected on that, um, you know, we talk about experience is not the greatest teacher, but evaluated experience is. I, I, and during the in the vein of leadership, any leadership lessons you've learned kind of from that experience that that you kind of applied for yourself? Yeah.
1: You know, everything was strange about that day. Obviously, the, the, the big difference between New York and besides the massive loss of life in New York compared to the Pentagon, we lost, you know, 160 something and they lost 2800 something. Um, was the operational chain of command is the the military expression. In New York, pretty much everybody worked for the mayor. Uh, All of the various agencies had a single line of authority up to the municipal government of New York. In the Pentagon response, the city of Arlington was technically in charge because the Pentagon had handed over um, the management of casualties to the city of Arlington. But when that decision was made, people were thinking about heart attacks and EMS and small fires and things like that. They weren't thinking about the worst terrorist attack in, in, in American history. And so we had a lot of different agencies respond, federal, FBI, even the, even the Secret Service responded, National Park Service, many local municipalities, Fairfax County, DC, all the way up to Delaware and state governments, the state of Virginia, the state of Maryland, the District of Columbia, and nobody had authority to manage those various entities. And what I learned about leadership that day is a guy showed up, he was an Army general, he was an active duty three star by the name of John Van Alstein, who had no authority because he wasn't in the chain of command for all these civilian agencies but he was able to exert his moral authority to kind of get them to work together. And, um, and people were willing to listen to him. Whereas big Fairfax County may not have been willing to listen to little city of Arlington. Um, and I'm making that up, but I'm in as an example, but, but among the municipalities, one might say, hey, look, we're, we're more equipped for this than you are, you know, and we know we have a better way. We know a better way to do this than what you're telling us. Nobody questioned the Army General who had no technical authority, but had moral authority. And I think that was a great lesson from that day.
0: Yeah, that is a great lesson right there. And, and um, I love what you said, the moral Authority right there. When you know, when situations arise, that's where that's where you see the people who uh, leadership arise up when opportunities come. That's right. Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, you made mention earlier in our conversation about being on the submarine, and and you're talking about being able to get to meet the um, some of the ones on the the cruiser there. I'm not very familiar with that that story there. Can you share a little bit about that? The USS Indianapolis?
1: Yeah, the, the movie Jaws talks about it, but only as it pertains to sharks. And most of what they say in the movie is wrong. But that's the way most people know about the USS Indianapolis. They delivered the atomic bomb to the island of Tinian and the wetlands dropped on Hiroshima. And then when they were on their way from Guam to Leyte, they were sunk by Japanese submarine i 58 and they spent nearly five days in the water before they were rescued. About 800, there were 1,200 of the crew, about 300 went down with the ship when it was torpedoed. So about 880 were alive in the water, but after nearly five days in the water, only 316 survived. And so, um, you know, I'm now, the, the survivors pulled me into their sphere in 1998, when I was still captain of the submarine in Indianapolis. And so I've been working with them ever since. It was my great honor to know them. I helped them a little bit with the exoneration of their captain, who had been court-martialed after World War II for the sinking of his submarine, or the sinking of his ship by the Japanese submarine. And so um, and so, I've been with them ever since. I'm now chairman of their legacy organization. And uh, it's a great story. There's a good book who came out. That came out in 2018 called Indianapolis. Just that's, that's the title and then long subtitle the 50 year, 50, 55 year effort to exonerate an innocent man, I think is the subtitle. But um, it tells the complete story and it's very much worth reading. And I do recommend it. Wow.
0: How about that? Uh, that's good stuff. I like that. And um, I, I like that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about you know, in leadership, there's uh, often challenging pieces mm-hmm. and parts of your day. And I think, I, I know I've mentioned John Maxwell a few times, but John talks about there's no two great days in a row for in the life of a leader, because, you know, there's challenges there. And I, I would right. to hear um, maybe some lessons you've learned from your own personal failures. Uh, you don't have to go into too detail on any of the failures, but uh, I know for my, for my own self, some of the greatest lessons I've learned are from my own failures there. So anything on that, that you could share with us.
1: Yeah. The first one is to recognize the failure. Uh, I mean, that's almost the most important bit. When I transitioned to my first company out of, out of the Navy, I I came into a job that was called a leadership development program. And it really rankled me that they thought I needed my leadership to be developed. That was kind of my first mistake because I'd led at a very high level in the military and, and what it was really about was creating a business vision and then aligning people around that vision. And it was a great program. And I got promoted very quickly. And I thought, ooh, I'm, I'm doing great, just like I did in the Navy. And, and it was wonderful because in the Navy, you kind of have to wait your turn to get promoted. You have your, your sign a number, and you can't get promoted before your number comes up. And in the industry, I was promoted before maybe 20,000 people that had been there longer than me. And so um, I'm loving this. But about six months after that, I get a call one day and it's my boss's boss, the guy who kind of was my mentor. And he's saying, and his first words out of his mouth were, Bill, you're screwing this up. And it was like, I had, I didn't even, I had no idea that I wasn't doing a great job. And so he went down the list of, my feelings, right? And it was like kind of, um, you know, grip yourself moment. And, you know, what are you going to do about this? And um, and obviously, I, I could have got pretty agitated and blamed everybody else for not supporting me, because I'm the new guy. And I'm only just a few months or not at that point, I think I was in, in more than a few months, but I'm new to industry. And and why haven't people told me this? And how come it takes you to... And it was one of those things where maybe I was a little bit intimidating to them. And my boss and the people around my boss. And, and so my boss's boss took it upon himself to have this talk with me. And, and so I learned a lot of lessons from that. First of all, I wasn't sufficiently self-aware. Second, I thought I knew what it was going to take to succeed. And I was wrong. Third, I had to go talk to these folks, I was going to say, confront them, but that's not the right word. And say, look, why didn't you tell me? Don't be afraid to talk to me. What's, what's going on here that you're afraid to talk to me? And so I learned a lot from that. And fourth, I just swallowed my pride. For the first time, I'm not hitting it out of the park. And you know what am I going to do to fix this? And I'm going to take it very seriously and do what needs to be done. I told my wife, I, pretend I'm going on deployment again because I'm going to be working really long hours until I figure this out and get this right. Either that, or I'm going to have to start looking for another job, which I don't want to do, because I really like it here. So that was a huge lesson on leadership from somebody who had been practicing leadership for over 20 years at that point.
0: Wow. That's that's really powerful. I love what you said there. First, becoming aware right, yeah. of the mistake and how easy it is that we just go through and and you, you hit me, uh, brought back memories to one of my lessons I learned. I was working at a, uh, at a physical therapy clinic anyway, it came time for one of those performance reviews, you know, that, mm-hmm. that time of year. And, uh, the guy checked me average on everything and I thought I was exceeding
1: mm-hmm.
0: expectations. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it was really, really a gut punch for me. It, it like you said, it really helped me to become aware that, um, I was actually just showing up in Mm. your areas of giftedness. You can sometimes just show up and because you're good at it, people pat you on the back and say, that's really good. But really help me understand. There's that that
1: old saying that showing up is like 80% of of, of getting there. And that's not true. That's like 20%. Anybody who thinks like that is going to lose. That's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and what that really helped me was that I was just showing up that I was compromising some strengths and gifts and talents that I had, and yeah. I was just winging it and not working for it. And, um, and that's a powerful thing you just said. That's really, really good. Well, Bill, you've added a ton, a ton, a ton of value. And I know we're getting right at time, but I want to, um, uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and connect with you, what what's the best way they can connect with you? And then if they wanted to get the book, how do they get the book?
1: Well, the book is everywhere. It's on Amazon and whatever, Barnes and Noble, you know, Amazon controls the world. So and that's the easiest place for people to get it. So I have to say that. Uh, it's also an audio and it's an ebook. So if Apple Books is your thing, you can find it there as well or Kindle or whatever. Um, but to get to connect with me, I do have a website. It's William Toady and Toady is spelled T-O-T-I, WilliamToady.com. And uh, my email address is there and send me an email and I'll respond.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, guys, I hope you connect with uh, Bill. There's tons of good stuff there, and uh, if, if even if Bill shared something in here that spoke to you, and you want to comment, feel free to do that. We'll pass that along to him, and uh, Bill, last question I have for you. If somebody's listening, and uh, you really spoke to them, and uh, what was one thing you want listeners to take away from our conversation today? If there's just one nugget that you could uh, leave within them, what, what would that be today?
1: You know, I've seen, I've heard you say in another um, podcast, Corey, that um, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And it's, it's the basic philosophy of servant leadership. And if there's one lesson, that's probably the one. And you need to really Ascribe to servant leadership. If you're going into the civilian, in, into your transition, whatever job it is, even if you're not coming out of the military, if you're going from one civilian job to another, and and it's all about you, it will always be only about you, and that's not going to get you. I think where you probably want to be. And I have that conversation with people who want to work from home, and I say, is that that's good for you? I get it. I get it. But if it's all about you and you're not willing to sacrifice something for the company then don't be surprised when you never grow beyond where you are today. And so particularly in face of people like you who can't work from home, you know, I ran ran several manufacturing, you know, businesses where the people working there can't work from home. And so put yourself in their shoes and, and ask yourself, you know, what is it? So, it, it, it needs to be about thinking of yourself less. And, and I think that's going to take you where you need to go.
0: Absolutely. And I love that. And uh, I could hit that on replay a bunch of, yeah, bunch exactly. of times right there. Uh, servant <laughs> leadership. And I, I think the, the um, thing about leadership, a misconception about leadership is that it is all about me—that I'm the one to be served—but that that's not the case.
1: Some of the worst leaders I ever worked for were highly charismatic, and and you really couldn't help but love, love them, right? Of it, and then they would lead you into the—they use this—they would lead you aground, use the submarine expression, right? And uh, it just—it's not about you. That's the point.
0: Not about you, man. That is great. That is a great point. If uh, if if I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna second what Bill said right there. If you're interested in leadership, whether it's in military, whether it's in the corporate setting or entrepreneurship, if you want to be a great leader, uh, get over yourself. <laughs> it's not about you. Uh, it's not about me. It's about the team, right? Man, that's good stuff, Bill. I really appreciate you. You've added a ton of value to us. Make sure you guys connect with Bill. Uh, and again, like I said, if he shared anything that stood out to you, um, you can comment below. We passed that along to him. Um, I'm going to put Bill's, uh, he said his email and where you can find the book. I'm going to put that in the show notes there. So That'd you- be terrific. Yeah.
1: William yeah. <laughs> at williamtody.com is the email.
0: Yep. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that in there for you guys and you can connect with him. So, Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed this conversation. I know it added value to you. Make sure you like and subscribe. That way you can stay up to date with any episodes that are newly released by Principles
1: with Corey and Logan. Hope you guys have an awesome, awesome day and God bless.